You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Well, welcome back to the Donor Growth Podcast, where we talk about how to build more relationships and deeper relationships, because we think that as fundraisers, we can be creative enough to do both. It doesn't have to be either or. Today on the podcast, we are going to be answering some questions that folks who listen to this podcast have sent in via a platform on the Donor Participation Project. And joining me, as always, is Luis Diaz. Luis, good morning. Hello, Mike. It's so great to be with you. Hey, you're the linguistics expert. What do you call this? Um, I don't know if it's a figure of speech. This, you know, when you have the big small man and you have two opposite concepts tied together, there was a name for that, I remember in school. Um, but I don't actually remember what it was. But anyhow... More and deeper, it seems some, you know, it's going to seem that it's uh, a contradiction. Right. I'm digressing, right? <laughs> well, talk to us about about the ask and the donor participation project and, and what today's exercise is going to be. Awesome. So we just launched a Q&A platform for uh, members of our community. And just so everybody knows, the community is completely open to anybody who wants to learn and meet others who are interested in learning about um, how to increase donor participation. So uh, it's closed, but it's open. Another contradiction. But we have this Q&A platform and we just launched it and we're getting really good questions from the community it's essentially if you might think of a stack overflow you know one of these sites where you post a question people can upvote downvote right. and answer um and right. we're hoping that this is a great community resource where we can dig into the details and i think you and i agree mike that so many times the genius in fundraising is truly in the details right um, in the details and also in how, I, I don't know about you, I, I, watching different people execute differently, like there's all mm -hmm. these sort of proven practices out there um, and you watch people implement stuff and they execute it differently. Um, and so it's neat, it's neat to see how people interpret stuff and, and actually put it into practice in their shop. So let's, let's get into some of these questions. What's, what's the first question that, um, that you and I are gonna, are gonna talk about here? That absolutely. And, um, so what's great is that anybody can ask these questions and we've started to get some and yeah, let's get started. One, um, difference with kind of the rest of the internet is that we invite people to post anonymously um, for two reasons. One is that it, since it is a closed community and you need to uh, log in with your LinkedIn account, it's a fairly high trust environment. You know, we all know each other. We meet every month. Um, so there's, you know, there really no people 
outside of, of the sphere of, of influence of fundraising and all of that. Um, but also to prevent some of the negative things of uh, that we see on social media, the virtue signaling, the kind of covertly hunting for clients and um, all of that. So we have an anonymous question. Um, and the, the, that the first one is uh, somebody who's asking about question formats for donor surveys. And I'm excited to bring this question to you, Mike. Okay, so the question is, what are what are different formats for donor surveys? Well, she's asking more, or he or he is asking more specifically, let me just read it. For those who have conducted donor surveys, do you find it best to have choices or drop downs for certain questions? Or do you go with all free form text responses? For example, what other philanthropic areas do you support? Would you recommend a checkbook, checkbox options with an other option or open text? As we are working on introducing more donor surveys to our communication and engagement strategies, I am tempted to go with more preloaded options in order to be able to capture cleaner data. But I am also concerned concerned about limiting our donors' ability to share authentic feedback. Right. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, I'll, I'll give you our perspective, Lewis, and then I'd love to hear yours. Um, Amazing. We run... We run, we run surveys, and basically the questions are mostly multi-choice. Plus, um, whenever possible, there's an invite for additional comments. Or, you know, kind of like in my own words, explaining it. But a lot of the questions end up being multi-choice, plus an option to, to add additional insight or provide additional comments in the donor's uh own words um there's a bit of a uh, you kind of got to know what you what you want out of the survey so we don't use surveys for example to decide what topics to feature in future appeals that's not how we use the surveys um we also mm -hmm. don't use it for sort of measuring performance or how much impact your charity is having anything like that um we mostly uh use surveys um i'm going to try to frame this um we mostly use it to get insight from donors that we can reflect back to them to involve them more personally in the cause which then it leads to increased loyalty and giving so mike a follow-up question and and then i'll share uh, a few additional thoughts but the follow-up question mm -hmm. is do you do this at an individual level so you say you want to reflect things back to the donor um, is this one-on-one -on -one or is this kind of in the aggregate it can be both for our purposes we often use it in the aggregate but um, when clients have a mid-level donor portfolio for example and mid-level donors are included mm -hmm. in surveys. Major donors often aren't included in the surveys that we run, but mid-level donors often are. Um, those mid-level donor reps then also use those answers on a one-on, yep, like like one-to-one -one relationship mm -hmm. or like personal emails and phone yeah. calls and all of that. Um, it's not quantitative research; it is qualitative, um, and. 
it it a lot of the questions and answers focus on your donor support. Um, and there's kind of some questions that you don't want to ask. <laughs> like you don't necessarily <laughs> want to ask, ask. you know. Uh, do you wish that we would mail you less, right? <laughs> or do you do you <laughs> would you like to get more emails, less emails, or the same amount of emails? Um, uh-huh. Things like that. I got a survey the other day that said, um, "When was your first gift to this organization?" And I was oh, like, great. "Well, shouldn't exactly. you know that? Like, you you know that better than I do." <laughs> yeah, uh, like. Nothing says I haven't really done my research here um, than asking a question like that, right? Um, so uh, we ask a lot of motivation questions, essentially, just to see what motivates mm-hmm. people to give. Um, yeah, but but Louis, I'd be curious about yeah, but- how you structure surveys. So, you know, very much along similar lines. Um, my perspective on on the question in the ask, which was uh, open ended versus multiple choice, is that it depends, and you have uh, benefits from both. I think open ended does certainly have a lot of benefits. I think it's very um, flattering to the person who receives it, as in, wow, you know, they really care about what I have to say um, versus, uh, you know, a checkbox can be more like, well, you know, this feels very transactional. It's like a machine. Um, but on the other side, the insights that you get require a lot more work to get to. So you can do some automated, like, you know, sentiment analysis. But I found that, you know, honestly, unless you were doing a lot of segmentation within the survey, you know, it's not super helpful a lot of the times. Then you can also do things like topic categorization, which sounds very fancy, but essentially is just identifying topics with a, a human and then putting, you know, each answer into one of X yeah. number of buckets that you've created for types of responses, right? And then tr- so you're trying to kind of generalize. You can do a word cloud. Um, tool, which will sometimes help. So between all of those, you can get insights from open-ended questions, but it's more work. Um, and maybe kind of beyond what people sign up for when uh, we suggest that they run surveys, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that that's my take on, on those two. Like, and, and then so the questions that I've run, I've done campaign surveys, um, which is kind of extending the concept of the feasibility study to the entire community. Um, and, you know, some of these are, like you said, you ask the multiple choice, and then would you like to add any comments um, to that? Mm-hmm. Others, you can do, like most online email survey tools have an other option that with, a, with free text. So you can do, you know, A, B, C, D possible answers, and then, um, would, you know, type in something that you like. Um, So I I think those are essentially all your options that I can think of. Um, And, you know, you need to balance and probably you can, you know, do both. So I I would say, you know, if it doesn't turn the survey into a very long thing, just, you know, do that. And maybe at the very least add, add a final 
text box saying, would you like to share anything, you know, else about, about this? But I, I very much agree with your survey approach, um, on values more than, you know, would you like to be sent emails or asking things that you're not really going to be able to fulfill? You know, it's kind of a survey. Sometimes it's an implicit promise that you're going to do what people tell you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also something that we didn't get into. And Lewis, I think, I think we should actually make this a future episode, which is the different kinds of surveys to run when. So, um, mm -hmm. I assumed yep. this question was about kind of a donor survey that to send, that you send to most of your file. Um, but there are, there are surveys that you run after an event, after an online donation. There is little questions you ask when you do a thank you call to a donor. You have a standard three to five questions that you, that you ask and you log their answers. Um, there are more like insight project sort of surveys where you're trying to, maybe it's for an upcoming capital campaign or maybe it's, it's for, Maybe it is for messaging research, but, but you take a lot more focused approach and you do the one hour interviews with, you know, 50 donors, um, to get into a nugget of insight that you can use. Those are all different sort of surveys and different approaches. Um, we were at this yeah. point mostly answering the question if you sort of send a survey to all donors. Um, And, and there are questions where you don't want an open text box, for example. Um, so the, for the sure. bequest or the legacy sort of question where you're basically trying to find out, has somebody left you a gift in their will? We wouldn't use a open ended question there. Um, an open ended question might be like, Hey, have you considered leaving? Um, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. world care. Totally. In your will, um, right? Um, now, we would we would frame that as a social proof question, and then the answers themselves um, suggest a few options to donors that we want to suggest, and and kind of info that we are also looking to get. So it it might say like, hey, like like a gifts and wills to World Care. Um, you know, are like of huge benefit to our work, and and they help people around the world who are living in poverty and you know many people actually like to leave money in their will to world care have you included a gift mm -hmm. to world care in your will and then i would be like yes i've already included a will i intend to include i would consider this type of gift i'd like more information i have a will and i've yeah. mentioned other charities but i have not included world care i don't have a will I've written a will, but not included a charity, and I'm not. It's not something I'm interested in right now. Thank you. Um, so there are some questions where you don't want an open-ended field because you're just going to get a one-word answer like yes or no. When mm -hmm. really you're looking for something that is a little bit more, that gives you a little bit more information on on how you can follow up with that person. And also, Mike, very practically you can often um, kind of plant the seeds of ideas with the options that you present. So you can be a little bit strategic about that, right? So if, if you're asking yeah. for level of interest, you know, well, 
it, it goes from some interest to you know extreme interest in you know environmental values, right? Or I want to um, leave a better world yeah. uh, for people who come after me. Um, but you don't like you don't have an option for you know not at all. <laughs> I hate the environment, right? Things like that. Yeah. So you can be a little. So that gives you that it, that you know. I know it's a it's a complicated word, but a little bit of that control, right, to steer the conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And whatever you ask, it should be something that you can action on. Which Lewis already mentioned, but please, 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 you might come up with yep. like a hundred things okay. that you'd love to know about your donors, but realistically, you're gonna like act on one or two of them, right? So um, keep it simple. Our surveys are between twelve to sixteen questions, and and that's it. Those, yeah, I've done even shorter, even for capital campaigns. Um, but talking about types of surveys. Uh, you can also string them in a sequence. So that's um, another thing uh, I've been doing. So it's kind of a sequence that really uh, culminates in the gift renewal ask a year down the line. So if you have lots of questions, yeah. it, you don't have to put them all in that one survey. Exactly. Yeah. Great. On to the next one, Mike. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so I'm excited about this one. Question posted by Anna Banana. Ideas on post-campaign kickoff outreach to non-attendees. Okay, so we usually focus very much on the people who show up, right? We thank them. Um, we show gratitude, we, especially if they make a gift, then, you know, we're very focused, but we forget about people who were invited and did not come. Um, and I've heard enough okay. stories of lurkers, uh, which is <laughs> our affectionate term for, for, for these wonderful constituents, um, lurkers receiving invitations and being kept in touch with and appreciating that so much that it prompted them, prompted them to make a gift. Um, that, yeah. uh, you know, I feel that's like hidden gold right there. So, um, a qu the question description says, I'm noticing a critical mass of leadership donors who aren't able to attend our upcoming campaign kickoff due to conflict, travel, any other cause. I'm in the market for ideas on how to make them feel the love, even though they weren't there. And bonus points if it's an easy to implement idea because I will be burned out afterward. Probably this person is actually running that campaign kickoff um, and mm -hmm. she wants to do the right thing, but she's realistic about the time and resource that she's going to resources that she's going to have available. So, Mike, do you want to take a first right. stab at this? I will take a first stab at this and I will focus not only on leadership donors, but donors in general. And I don't, I don't exactly know the entire context here, but, but from an event perspective, cause it says po a campaign kickoff event, I think was, was the scenario. Yep. Um, there's a, there's a few things. Number one is, uh, we, we've done this quite a few times is when there is an event, and you know who's coming and you know who's not, have an email list of people who are not coming. And then we have an email that goes out five minutes before the event starts. 
and it's from the CEO and the subject line is usually something like about to go on stage and it is a very short message just saying hey I'm about to go on stage and I know you're not able to be here with us today so I want to say you'll be missed um, but here's three three key points that I think you might find interesting which we're going to reveal today or Mike you're like a genius um, and then just like you know three quick points something unique or exclusive or whatever that people at the event are going to hear that whatever um that way those people actually feel like you are thinking of them in the moment um and involving them in the moment now if you're not live streaming this let's assume you're not live streaming this i would still find a way to record it though and i am not a fan of sending out the whole recording later because who wants to watch a two-hour recording of <laughs> of a donor event later? Yeah. I mean, maybe some donors are Especially super keen and they want camera. to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so even if you just use an iPhone to record this thing, um, you've got an opportunity, a huge missed opportunity of nonprofits who don't repurpose their content. Mm. They've got so much content and social proof. They just are not using it. But I, I would I would chop it up into maybe four or five clips. The clips can be like a minute or two minutes. And then just drip them out over the next few days, you know, one at a time. Don't send them six clips at a time. Um, but that gives you a little bit of an, of an email drip campaign for the next six to ten days. And, of course, you can also use it on social. Lewis, what are your ideas? So, Mike, you're, you're, you're such a genius that in the moment message, even though it's prepared in advance, because I'm thinking of this person actually, you know, dealing with the catering in the moment. So all right. of yeah, yeah. what Mike suggested, you probably pre-plan and um, have somebody build it out in your email tool so that at least you have mm -hmm. the skeleton where you drop in the videos as you go. Um, additional suggestion for the videos if it looks um, live and authentic, like somebody was recording it with their webcam, I, I think that gives bonus points. It's even better. So, you know, it's going to be obvious that it was a very nice event, um, you know, uh, but that, you know, it, it, it gives that immediacy. And kind of Mike and I kind of joke that we're going to start a business helping nonprofits repurpose content because it's such a big opportunity <laughs> that we both see. Um, in the, like, I, I want to mention a few obvious activities which um, uh, may not be as effective because they've been done before, but still, right? Survey. So that, um, you know, um, some, some type of uh, survey, some type of thank you. If you're sending um, uh, a thank you note to those who attended, you can have a similarly worded thank you note to the to everybody. Um, I, I usually do that. I find that that's a pretty time effective way to do it. You just you know send a thank you to the whole list instead of just sending it to those who attended. Just don't word it you know thank you for attending. Um, but it was great to see so many of you. You can word it in a way that includes everybody, and I think people like to feel included. Um, mm -hmm. There was somebody actually in the ask who suggested uh, that this was Olivia Eleven. Thank you, Olivia. 
says, how have you thought of making a We Missed You video? So um, kind of Mike's idea. Um, and texting campaigns. So kind of the same concept. If you have texting, uh, if you can text uh, these people, something like Mike's in the moment message to a, to a group, uh, an SMS group, that can be pretty done pretty quickly, or just a thank you afterwards. Um, kind of the same concept, but with the added immediacy of texting. And that's really all I've got. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm with you on all of those things. Um, I, 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 cool. <laughs> there's, like, there's a lot more personal stuff you could do, right? You could call them and be like, hey, we missed you at the event. But, you know, we got to be realistic in terms of what you're actually able to do. So, yeah. So just, and, and you're th- like, some of this we're reading in between the lines is not, a, it seems like it might not be appropriate to post on social. But those in the moment, short video clips with the moment that are taking, taken on, on, a, on a mobile phone, you know, iPhone, whatever you have, um, do all, are also pretty great um, content for social media, especially if you say, you know, live right now at the campaign kickoff, it adds a little bit of excitement. Um, yeah. So, you know, and these are really tried and Kudos. strategies. So. Kudos to this person for thinking of the donors who weren't able to attend the event. Um, the fact that they are thinking about those folks is uh, is a very generous thing in the first place. And the kind of proof of a great fundraiser. So I, I have a sense yep. that this person is um, really effective also in their work. Okay, on to the next question. How do you ensure your fundraising campaigns are accessible? And this was Olivier Levin again asking. She, she adds some more detail. As technology continues to evolve for donor participation type initiatives, so I, I guess kind of mass, mass communications, we can frequently forget that our messaging should be accessible to all audiences. I've done some basic research on how to make fundraising initiatives more accessible to people with disabilities, for example, if they're deaf or blind, etc. But want to hear from those in the community how they ensure their programmings, their programs, sorry, are welcome to all. Um, hugely important question. And if I may say, a lot of what you do, because you're trying to be more accessible, just generally just improves your communications and um you know, it's not only for people who have an accessibility issue. It's just going to um, broaden your impact so much more. Right. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, Lewis. Thanks, Mike. So I'm going to share a, a particular example, which is uh, in the donor participation project. We meet fairly frequently on Zoom. Our main thing is we meet every month. Um, as a group and um, some, you know, uh, captioning, live captioning is available for free. It's automated uh, and that's pretty important. So I would say step number one is make sure that all your videos are captioned. Um, If you want more control over how that's going to display, you can actually burn in the captions and there are even you know, software as a service, online websites where you upload a video and you download it with the captions actually like burned into the image, not in a separate file. 
So that's a um, very basic 101. I know there's a lot of work that can be done with web accessibility. Um, but kind of basics like making sure your images have um, alternate text descriptions um, right. and things like that. Um, I, I, I am not an expert, and I know there are some people in tech uh, that are available to help you think through all of this. So, you know, feel free to reach out and, and we can connect you to them. But um, some things like the captioning, it just basically improves your content, full stop. Yeah, captions improve your content. I still often see captions that are tiny. And yes, mm -hmm. big captions look ugly. <laughs> um, but this isn't about the aesthetic. That's not why you're adding captions, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's a utility to adding captions. And so making captions bigger is a... Having captions and making them bigger is a really easy place to start. In general, making your font bigger for stuff. Now, on digital, oftentimes, people can increase the font size on their own device, right? Like on any website, um, you can increase the font size. Even if the website has a tiny font, on your device, you can increase the font size. Um, but in your printed materials, you can't. So even just making your font bigger in your print materials making the reply device a lot bigger. We don't use, for direct mail, we don't use those little coupons at the bottom that are like a tear-off. We use a full 8.5 by 11 reply device, and it's two-page. It's the front page and the back page. Um, it's stretched out to give the donor as much space as possible to fill out their information. Because mm -hmm. a lot of older donors, for example may have arthritis, they might have, you know, very few of us actually have perfect vision. I think less than 1% of the population has perfect vision. So um, a lot of us have some sort of vision impairment. So just leaving a lot more space um, than you think you should. And does it look ugly? Yeah, it's not the prettiest. <laughs> but is it functional? Well, and does it does it help people? Yes. I mean, define ugly, right? Yeah, I'm not going to try. So, <laughs> so, I mean, and I think you hit on some commonly overlooked ways to make content more accessible, which is please, please, please don't um, try to fit in a whole uh, encyclopedia into your letters, um, yeah. you know, because then what you end up doing is making the font tiny, the the lines super long, and that all of that hurts uh, readability and uh, makes it just more hard to 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 access, you know, your content essentially, um, which also hurts your fundraising. So this is why I, I was saying at the beginning, making content more accessible will probably help your fundraising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and writing clearly and simply and succinctly also helps for accessibility because people who use a text-to-voice sort of an app, if you're writing long run-on sentences or very dense sort of paragraphs, if somebody can read it and spend a bit of time with it, right, like didn't quite get it the first time, I'll read it, I'll read it again to see if I can get it. But if somebody's listening to this thing... Um, you don't want those sentences to be very dense and long, 
Um, you would rather that they're shorter, simple, clear, to the point, which also makes it more readable. Another thing that you can do, Great and point. Lewis, you and I do not do this for this podcast, um, but if you have video or audio format stuff, you can use an app like Descript, and there's others, who will automatically create a transcript of the entire conversation. So then you've got video, captioned video, plus the transcript, and you know different people learn different ways. Some people aren't visual learners. Some people need to read the thing. Other people can't read the thing or don't want to read the thing or don't learn that well. So then you have audio and video content. Wonderful suggestions. Thank you, Mike. And I think we have time for one last question. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Consecutive giving recognition. This was a question um, that, in fact, I posted in the ask because it had been asked in our the Donor Participation Project listserv. Um, and somebody had written in saying, good afternoon. I'd love to know if anyone has a great example of consecutive milestone recognition you feel works well for your institution. Has anyone seen success in this strategy in increasing donor participation? That's a pretty meaty question when you start to think about it. Mm -hmm. I'll, Mike, let me share um, a few thoughts and then we'll, we'll, we'll learn from your fountain of wisdom. <laughs> so, sounds good. Uh, I'll, um, I don't know how much value I'll be able to add, but um, uh, I, I know you've done a lot of thinking on this. So, so uh, something um, that I learned recently is that you don't need to make everything into a uh, program. You know, so you can do consecutive gift, and it's you know the the asker. Um, said consecutive milestone recognition. You know, so, you know, you can recognize people's um, loyalty um, without needing to turn it into a society, um, you know, this big thing and branding. You can actually do most of this also, if you choose to, if it makes sense for your organization through a, through a process. So some of the processes, and, I, you know, I find that this very often um, is a lower bar of entry. That's very helpful because these things are important to do. So you can send a note. You can send an email if you're tracking consecutive number of gifts or consecutive years of giving when somebody hits that milestone or when they're about to. Um, Uber just did that to me, um, which, you know, wasn't amazing. I've seen many nonprofits do a better job. Uh, but, the, you know, it, they, they did have a process where they were seeing that I'd taken 48 rides and it was about to hit 50. Um, so you can do that as, uh, you know, kind of an automated way um, in a you know, semi-automated way. Um, and the, the asker says, have you seen success in increasing donor participation? And I think that's like a pretty huge question that depends on things beyond consecutive, rec you know, milestone recognition. But um, I would say 
it most definitely is going to succeed at um, incentivizing loyalty. And as we know, loyal donors are even more likely to keep giving. So, you know, the more you give, uh, the more likely you are to make a, uh, an additional gift. Um, and hopefully that's going to free up some resources for stewardship of those donors and for acquisition of new donors. So in that way, if you handle your strategy correctly, it will help with donor participation. But I would say that the biggest ROI in this strategy is uh, loyalty. Um, loyal donors are your best major giving, your best planned giving donors. Um, and that's where you're going to see kind of the, the dollar ROI of investing in this. So that's my take, Mike. Yeah, I very much agree with you here. Um, so if we, I look at everything through the lens of relationships, because we say that fundraising is about relationships, but then we go and we, tr we treat it like it's not a lot of the time. In a relationship, um, are you gonna, does your friendship depend on somebody saying happy birthday to you once a year? Is that going to make you a more loyal friend? No. But it's one of the things that's part of friendship that somebody, you know, um, Facebook aside, because Facebook reminds you when it's somebody's birthday, but I haven't been on Facebook in a few years. Um, if, when somebody remembers that it's your birthday and they reach out and they say happy birthday, that is a signal that they value you, right? That they care. Mm -hmm. And you get a bit of a warm and fuzzy and you're like, oh, well, how kind of that person, right? Is that going to make yeah. or break your friendship? No, it, it won't. But is it one of those deposits in the trust bank? Is it one of those deposits mm. in in the friendship bank and the whatever you want to call it, the loyalty bank? The It absolutely is. So uh, recurring giving, um, giving milestone recognition, I agree with you. I would not make it a, a program. I don't think that you need a name for it. I don't think you need to invest a lot of money <clears throat> in trinkets. This is a point of view. I don't think donors want another pen. I don't think they want another tote bag. <laughs> I don't think they want any of these tchotchkes that we sometimes send them as a recognition. Mm -hmm. Maybe what they want is just a meaningful interaction. And meaningful and interactions aren't, yep. yeah, they're not hard in terms of, you know, they require you to pick up the phone, write an email, write the card, notice them for something they've done, right? So, uh, Louis, we've talked about this before. I recommend every organization have a retention day. Call it retention day. That is the day where we do a lot of these activities that should happen at least once a month that are about retention. Things oh, like beautiful. checking whose credit card is about, is about to expire and call them. Um, one of the things we should be doing on retention day, pulling a list of, of people who that month hit some sort of anniversary, right? And then mm. just spend an hour or two that day calling those people, sending them an email, making them whatever, if you know them, a personalized video, whatever it is, um, come up with something meaningful you can do. 
Uh, and that's it. That's that's all it's got to be. It's a little touch point. Does it increase loyalty and results in any of this? I haven't done a hard test on that, and I wouldn't. Um, I just think it's one of those intuitive things that you know, if we do this well, along with a thousand other small things, <laughs> it's it's going yeah. to increase in in a stronger relationship. Yeah, this is one of those places where um, it not only feels great to do it, so it might be a staff retention technique too, right? Uh, But it's also just the right thing. Um, So I love it. And there's so many things you can do, right? Um, New births, um, uh, you know, deaths, uh, lots of milestones that you you may know about already with your constituents um, Mm -hmm. and that you can... Recognize and, and and make people feel noticed, like you said. Well, this has been uh, the end of our episode on the Ask a new Q and A site that we started in the Donor Participation Project. We invite everybody to check it out. Uh, join dpp.org forward slash the Ask. One word. Um, there is. Uh, an expert around here. His name is Mike Dorkson. If you want to know uh, anything about surveys, about direct response, about um, an approach that I kind of call like conversational direct mail, because that's what it feels like to me, Mike, when you talk about all the work you do, uh, please feel free to reach out to him, buildgood.com or LinkedIn. Um, And for everything else, feel free to send me a note on LinkedIn too. And we look forward to seeing you next time.
And we will see you next time on the Donor Growth Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and BuildGood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.